Welcome, friends, to the Her God Story podcast, where you will always hear a good story to encourage and inspire you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to like or follow this podcast on your favorite streaming platform so you won't miss any inspiring episodes. You probably know by now that I always ask my guests what woman of the Bible has inspired, encouraged, or taught her something, but what about you? I'd love to hear what woman of the Bible has helped you in your walk of faith. So email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org and tell me why. I just might read it in a future episode to encourage others who are listening. Remember, email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org. 1 John 5.20 says a startling thing. The NLT reads, And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. My guest, Mary Kemp Smith, has made it a priority to know God, to fellowship with Him, and to make Him known. I've been acquainted with Mary for many years and have seen in action her love for God and her servant's heart. Mary has been involved in loving and serving the people of God as a pastor at New Life Church in Houston, Texas for over 30 years. As a wife and mother of four, Mary has a mother's heart to nurture the body of Christ to maturity. She's led women's ministries, children's ministry, and hospitality at the church. And since the passing of her first husband, Dusty, she serves as senior pastor of the church with the support and help of her husband, Brett. She believes that the good news of Jesus changes lives, and her great joy is to see people transformed by his love. Welcome, Mary. Good morning, Jody. Thank you so much for having me on today. It is an honor. Mary, you're a pastor and you spend your life introducing people to Jesus, but uh, to do that, you had to first be introduced to him yourself. Tell us a little about your background and how you met the Lord. I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and we were a member of two churches. One was the UPC and the other was a Methodist church that my father liked. We went to both. My father traveled a lot, so we, I was in and out of both churches. My parents had a, a very traumatic divorce when I was in fifth grade, and it split our family, and I only went to the Methodist church, but we had a youth pastor that was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was a secret from the leadership. So on any outreaches and some of our MYF meetings, we would have a lesson, and we would pray and it would all it would be about the Holy Spirit. So I had an encounter with him at a very young age where I, I was very introverted and um, really traumatized. And Jesus was my everything. It, I wrote journals to him every day, read my Bible, and really my it was my life at that age. Now when I became in my came to my twenties. I was backslidden. You know, it, I always had the guilt, could not enjoy anything because I knew too much. And he was always wooing me, always wooing me. So I, um, my history with Jesus goes back to when I was 11 years old. So yeah, a lot of people have that salvation experience when they're young and then another really defining moment as an adult when they determine to follow Christ. So you said you backslid kind of in your teens and I yes, I think you had another defining moment. How did that happen? I was an adult in my late 20s and I decided, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like myself. I don't like this life. I'm going to go back to church uh, I had visited churches, but I ended up with John Osteen at Lakewood and got very involved in that church. And I loved him and Dodie, and that's where I was. And very happy there, got my life back serving, 
totally involved in Lakewood when I, I had a friend that kept telling me, you know what? I love Lakewood too, but you ought to come over to this church and visit. It's right where you work. It's off Britmore. You should visit Dusty Kemp's church. You'll love it. That's where I go. And I'm like, well, I'm not really looking for another church, but I was intrigued. So I visited the church on Christmas Eve, loved it. It was smaller and I felt connected somehow and I, I, I loved it. So I started going. And I was introduced to Dusty because he was building a new church at the time. And my mother was in, in a commercial interior designer. And I heard him complaining about the parking lot costing so much money. And, that, you know, Dusty was very funny. And so I went up to him after church and I said, do you have someone helping me with this? And he said, my sister. Yeah, talk to my sister. And just blew me off. I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. So anyway, I did. I called the office because I wanted her to have the business, and I really wanted to help them because it looked like they were kind of doing it on their own, and she had all the resources to help them. And so we set, I set up a meeting and walked in his office where he interrogated me. My mother was late. He, he interrogated me about when did you get saved? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And he was actually very funny, but I was scared of him. And at that, that meeting... My mother came in and we talked and, and she ended up getting the job, helping them. And she invited him over for dinner and I lived with her. And I was so embarrassed and just completely out of sorts with that. He was not married. And here she's inviting this, you know, this single man uh, pastor to our church. So I got through that. But then we became um, close, close friends and I attended his church, and then we started uh, dating and got married a year later. So that was my entry into the ministry full-time. After you are married, um, you jumped right into the ministry with Dusty. Uh, but after a few years, because of all the demands, you're both wiped out. And uh, you were able to take a week away for a vacation in Florida to rest, uh, and God had a remarkable encounter for you there. Share what happened. Yes, he did. It was 96. We had a one-year-old and we were, I was tired. We were tired. And he, we, we had a vacation to Florida and my mother called us and said, hey, you should go to this revival in Pensacola. We were an hour down the road from Pensacola. And we're like, oh, we, we don't want to go to church. We, we're, we're tired. We're going to do nothing. We're just going to rest and uh, be. And around, that was the beginning of the week, Monday. And then on Saturday, he said, Dusty said, you know what? Let's go. Let's go to church. Let's go check that out. And I'm like, okay. All right. He'd been reading about it. So we drove, left the baby with my mother-in-law at the condo. And we drove to the church and got there and there were a thousand people in line in the parking lot. And we didn't know anything about it, really. Just we, we had no, we hadn't seen that before. People in line to go to church and we were, wow, okay, there was no parking. We drove around, finally found a place, got in line in the back of the line. These people had been there all day. So we're talking to the ones around us. And they're telling us their stories. Many of them had been multiple times, had been going on for a year. And we were really excited. And they said, you know, you probably won't get in the main sanctuary, but they have overflow in another building. And we're like, that's fine. We don't care. So we're standing in line and here comes this man walking down the line saying, senior pastors, any senior pastors? And we're like, no, we're not, we're not raising our, our hands and get, getting in front of all these people in line. We're no, no way. And so we just put our head down, didn't say anything. But the people around us were like, right here, right here, because we've been talking to them. We're like, no, no, we're fine. We're good to stand in line with y'all. We're good. And the usher said, no, it, it, we bring all the pastors in. Y'all have seating in the front in folding chairs. And we're like, we don't, we really don't want to do that. We don't want to do that walk in front of all these people been here all day. 
And they said, no, you have to we're, we're, come with us. I'm like, oh, so we had had that walk of shame in front of the whole line getting they we went on and got in the church and sat in the folding chairs down front. And it was they opened the doors. People streamed in. It was very loud, very exciting because everybody was, you know, just excited about what was we had no idea what to expect, but it felt good in there. And the minute that Lyndall Cooley came to his keyboard and started playing, the presence of God fell. And we were, I cried. It, it was so amazing because I could see tears fly out of my eyes, like forcefully. I, that had never happened to me before. Fly out and like, what is happening to me? What is this? And it was just beautiful and so healing, the heavy presence of God. There were people, you know, that were crying and shouting and lots of stuff going on in the room, but we were quiet and just happy to be there. You know, we heard a great message, amazing worship, great message from Steve Hill. He's, you know, had an altar call. We had to pick up our chairs and move it to the side. So we got to stand there and watch as people flooded to the altar, falling on their face, on their knees, crying, 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 and and just weeping loudly. And Steve uh, said, hey, hang around. We're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on everybody. The prayer team is ready to lay hands on you. Well, we couldn't get near Steve or any John Kilpatrick, Michael Brown. We couldn't get it close to any of them they would they he would say follow us around pursue pursue the anointing we, we couldn't get close to him there are crowds of people surrounding them so we got prayed for by a member of the prayer team and mine was a little old lady i loved her she was so sweet laid her hands on me and prayed for me i thanked her didn't feel anything didn't you know didn't know what i was supposed to feel but i was thankful to get prayer and be, you know, have that deposit from her. And we left and drove back and got in very late. I think it was one in the morning and went to sleep. No change. Woke up the next morning. Dusty was already on the balcony. And I got up and walked out and stood at the door and looked at the water. I'm like, whoa, look at how beautiful the water is today. It's so, it's so bright and the everything. Wow. Did something happen? It just feels fresh and clean. And he looked at me and he said, what's, what happened to you? And I'm like, what? And he's like, why are you acting like that? I'm like, acting like what? It's just, it, it's so beautiful. He said, Mary, we've been here all week. It's no different. I'm like, well, it looks different. Okay. Well, and he just looked at me weird. So I went in, I said, you know what? I'm going to go get in the bathtub. I'm going to go take a, a shower grabbed my coffee, went in, wanted, I really wanted some alone time. So the minute that I got in the shower, I said, Oh Lord, thank you. I love you. Something descended upon me in the shower. Just, I mean, came down on me. I started shaking all over. It kind of scared me. I didn't know what it was. I, I, I just started praising him. I started praying praying in tongues. I, I did not know something was happening to me. My hands were shaking. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put my robe on, wrap up my hair. I went back outside and I said, something's happening to me. And I, I, I'm shaking all over. And he said, yeah, what, what is it? He said, put your, lay your hands on me. I want it. So I just laid my hands on him and pray for him. And he's like, whoa, my mother-in-law came out, lay your hands on me too. I want it. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Okay. Pray for her. She falls. We're just, you know, lay my hands on my baby. You know, we're just, we're praising the Lord. This is wild. Feels so good. But I, and I know it's something fresh and new. Um, it's just the fire of God. Everything that they had talked about the night before was happening to us, but we didn't really understand it. But okay, we're just, we're going to go with it, Lord, whatever you're doing. Yes. So that day we're like, we're going back to church. We're going back. We stayed another week. Every night we got more. It was more, we're laughing. We're, we're just ecstatic because we have been revived. 
And we didn't even know that we needed to be revived. And, but it, this was fresh and new. Any, you know, we were tired. Ministry, we were tired. We had been, you know, just really hitting it. Of course, I was a new mother. I was exhausted. But I was refreshed. My energy just renewing, renewing my mind, my body, my my. My spirit was, uh, I can say it was more alive. I looked at things differently. Things were brighter, just totally new and fresh. So we brought all of our staff up that next week. We rented vans, brought them all down. We all went to church. Everybody had the same experience. It was just wonderful. And so then we had to go home and we were excited to be back in church and tell everybody what we had experienced and just to lay hands on everybody like that had happened to us. Yes, I'm still shaking. And I was the only one that was. My hand was was very just shaking. And then I had this new thing of bowing, which really I was uncomfortable with because I'm very, uh, I, I wouldn't say stoic. I'm not stoic, but I am. Uh, very quiet, if that's a good word. Not prone to outburst of any emotion, you know, uh, very traditional. So I was doing all this stuff that I didn't understand, but I, I went with it because it was the Lord. So we walked in the back door of the church for that Sunday morning after being gone two weeks, and it was different when we walked in. It was, there was a, 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 almost like his presence in a mist in the sanctuary. You could see it. We felt it. It's like, oh, he's, he's already here before us. And that was the beginning of revival for New Life Church. And it was September 8th, 1996. So... We went through revival for five years. People would hear, heard about it. We started praying for people. Things started happening. People started being healed. We started, uh, we needed help. We started asking for, you know, people. We had our prayer team, but we started asking for, you know, to build the people to help us pray. People standing in line. It was the same thing that was happening in many churches in Houston. And anybody that wanted it, could have it. And there we, we started reaching out to our friends, Steve and Becky Riggle. It was happening in their church, uh, Grace Church on Gulf Freeway. And so we were comparing stories like, what, what are you doing, Doug? Uh, what, what's happening? And it, we went through years of that. It was beautiful. We had different people come in. We had Michael Brown in. We had John Kilpatrick in. Uh, never worked out for Lyndall Cooley. He was very, very busy. And well, they all were, we all were, but we just went with it. And we had Carlos Anacondia, different people from Argentina, Pablo Batari, who taught us how to have a deliverance ministry during that time. He ran the deliverance ministry for uh, Carlos Anacondia in Argentina for their revival many, many years. So he taught us just, it was a beautiful time of learning about revival and the presence of God in his manifested glory and signs and miracles and wonders. It was all of it. It's just the most amazing years of my life. You know, Mary, many people are sensing that there's a new move of God coming, a new harvest. And looking back, when you look back at that season, is there anything that you would have done differently? We learned so many things. We learned what not to do, it, it, it transitioned into, after many years, it transitioned into us becoming a church again. We had lost a lot of members because we were a revival church and it was, you know, a lot of different people coming in all the time and we weren't taking care of our families that were, had been members for a long time. As many of them drifted off, they needed more, they needed you know, to be outside of a, of a revival church and, and all of the, the hoopla that went with it. There was a lot, there was a lot going on in those years to do it over again. And I believe that the Lord has prepared all of us in this way 
to what does sustained revival look like? You've got to have discipleship. You bring in all these people, they get, they get changed, they get transformed. And then what happens? You know, where, where, what do they do with that new life? So you've got to have things in place to disciple them, to know the word of God, to know what this all means, to help them in their walk with the Lord and to know him. And we didn't have any of that in place. I think that many churches now have course corrected and they have prepared to have teams, to have people that know the word, that are strong in the word, stable, steadfast, faithful. We have done this uh, in, the, in the last 10 years to become a discipleship training center. We always have been. Dusty was, he was school ministry. He was a teacher. He, he wrote curriculum. It's been in all the prisons. It's just, you know, he, we have all of that. And we will be ready for the next influx of people into the kingdom. You mentioned, you know, when kind of it ran out, you know, when the revival ended, um, you went back to being a church. Uh, was it a letdown to you or did you sense God was doing something new? And, and what did it look like when you went back to, it wasn't really business as usual, it was a new way of doing things for church for you. It was. Uh, we transitioned slowly into that. Dusty started his school of ministry again. We started getting our our groups back together and getting people connected with each other in relationship instead of it being just so much of, you know, in and out, people in and out, the, the flow. We became, we had to rebuild our church and that's what we did. We focused on our discipleship programs and groups inside New Life Church and became a new new church. So we, by that I mean Somebody Cares, uh, partnered with New Life Church and others, other churches around Houston after Hurricane Harvey hit Houston to meet a lot of needs. Um, share one or two of the things that you saw God do in that time. It was it was the the worst the best and the worst of times. It started with Katrina when so many of the evacuees from New Orleans and Baton Rouge came to Houston and they flooded every hotel. Flooded is not the right word. <laughs> they were they were evacuated here and they were in every hotel around our church. They were on our property. As somebody cares, uh, knows, you immediately started finding your churches to start serving in. It's beautiful. Somebody cares is amazing. And Doug called us, and we became a the Western hub for somebody cares and the food bank. So we, we immediately started getting 18 wheelers of food, supplies, water, and it would come in and go right back out. It was the most beautiful thing. Churches worked together. We had food. Uh, that was Katrina, Ike, and then Harvey, same thing. Somebody cares. You're so organized. Y'all immediately come in with your cooks, your your supplies, and your organizations nationwide uh, to many churches in the city. We all worked together to get the food out, get the supplies out. Uh, we worked with the police union. And Ricky Bradshaw and all, you know, all of the uh, gallery furniture, he was feeding people. We would send meals just back and forth. Hey, it was, it was amazing because it very quickly got, got into place and we were calling each other. I called Mattress Mac and said, Hey, I've got 800 meals from the police union. Do you need them? And he said, no, I've got all this food too. Do you need it from us? And we just all worked together. We were so many phone calls to everyone in the city. What do you need? Okay, we've got this. I'll send that. And it was, it was an amazing time. We worked, everyone worked so hard and worked together with the, the first responders, the Cajun Navy. We were feeding them, housing people. Uh, they were, the responders were staying in our church building. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful time. And it was uh, also a tragic time, especially during Katrina. We 
reached out to all the hotels and sent teams in to find out who was there, what they needed, find out their stories, pick them up, bring them to church so we could love on them. And their stories were so many of them had to leave elderly in their homes that were flooded, that filled with water. And they knew that, you know, they had to go back home at some point and find their, their loved ones in the house. And they did. And we were able to be there for them and see, help them through all of that, the grief, the, the trauma. It was just, it was horrendous. Their stories of being rescued on their roofs or jumping into the water as it rose and flooded their second story of their house and they would float down and the, the stories of provision that they had is the most amazing stories. We're, we're thirsty and we look over, oh, there's a, there's an eight pack of Coke, grab it. And they're just floating, keeping their heads up. They're all going with the flow. And then they see a bridge that people are on, you know, that try to get to the bridge and hands lifting, lifting them out of the water, bringing them to the, you know, up on the bridge and, and food, you know, just there's so much in the water and getting on a bus coming to Houston and just the, the, the hand of God upon them all is a sto- stories I will never forget my entire, the rest of my life. The provision and hand of God on them and us during every storm, Katrina, Ike, the, the flood, all the floods of Houston and Harvey being the worst and the last one that we had. And I'm j- I was just glad to be a part of it. Glad to be a part of Somebody Cares during that time. We have a saying <laughs> after many, many disasters, and we watch churches in their neighborhoods, reaching out to their neighborhoods. And we have a saying that if God can get it through you, he will get it to you. Um, and, you know, that has certainly been the case with, with New Life Church and many of the churches around the country that we've worked with. Uh, I remember one story, uh, you and I were talking, we had heard about, I don't know, a thousand meals that were at maybe at the police union and you went and picked them up, not knowing what you would do. And then shortly after you got a call saying, we need a thousand meals and you had them right in your car and took them right over to wherever they were needed. I don't remember exactly where they were. It was in some park nearby. They were at the mall. Memorial City Mall, they were they were responders living in trailers and their cars in the mall parking lot and they didn't have food. So, yeah, that was and it was also the staging area for them to bring uh, people from their homes that they were rescuing in boats. They would bring them to the parking lot of Memorial City Mall. So they also they had nothing. They left their homes and so they needed clothes, shelter, food. That was the, the, the main points, the main things that we were searching for and finding and bringing. And it just snowballed. I mean, everybody started having food. We, we got people places to stay, put them in homes. It, it was just an amazing time of God's provision. So you're serving and you're seeing so many lives changed and people are maturing in their faith when you experienced a sudden tragedy. What, what happened, Mary? Dusty was diagnosed with stage four cancer. We kind of put everything on hold to, to deal with that. He had to have a, a major surgery for his liver, three-fourths of his liver removed. Um, and then he had a, the second surgery, came through that fine. Second surgery was removing um, most of his colon and digestive system. And that was a 10-hour surgery. They told me he might not live. And I couldn't tell him that. I had to keep him going. And he made it through that surgery. That was uh, really a touch-and-go time. And then we brought, I brought him home and basically took care of him for five years, five, six years, he got through all of that, all of the, the chemo radiation after the surgeries and was doing well and had been told he was cancer free except for a small lesion around his lung. Didn't think it, they didn't know if it would be anything, but 
he was on a, a chemo break vacation and on, on not taking anything strong, hair grew back, back in the pulpit preaching. He never really missed, only during the surgery times. Otherwise, he was in the pulpit. If, if he had to sit in a chair on the floor, that's what he did. He wanted to, that was his life. He loved it. He was uh, committed to being in the pulpit, no matter how he felt. And it really was a beautiful time because his theology about healing changed and he started preaching what God, he also became a lot calmer and loving. He would take money with him, cash, everywhere he went. He tipped and gave money to everybody he came in contact with. He just couldn't get enough of talking to people and giving his testimony, the goodness of God. He heals all, all of that. It was a, a wonderful time at the end of his cancer journey. And... A Sunday morning, he came in to preach. He felt good. He had lots of energy. He had. Uh, he walked over to me during the the beginning of the service, and he said, "What is this on my hands?" I'm like, "What did you get into? It looks like is it gold paint?" And he wasn't really big on on all the gold dust stuff. He's like, "I don't know if I believe it." He hadn't seen it. Well, he had gold dust on his hands, and it was all over his hands and face. And I just marveled. It's like, okay, well, this is, you, you got the gold dust. Do you believe it now? We laughed. He was wiping it on people all over, wiping his jeans. As soon as he wiped it off his hands, more would come. He's like, I don't know. I'm not going to make a big deal of this. I, he just laughed. Didn't even talk about it. That was a Sunday morning. That afternoon, watched some football. We had dinner. He had, you know, feel, don't feel very good. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, um, I have indigestion. Do you think I'm okay? I'm like, well, let me give you something for it. And he's like, yeah, it's not bad. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm going to finish the, the football game. And I went upstairs to read and fell asleep. He slept all over the house because he didn't sleep really well. And I never knew if he was going to come to bed or be up, you know, four in the morning. I never knew. So I fell asleep and woke up at four realizing, okay, he's not in here, but I hear noise. So I'm going to get up and see what's, see what he's doing. He would often be having breakfast. I'd walk in the den. Hey, good morning. Four in the morning, five in the morning. So I, I went to the stairs, listened. It was, no, he was in the, it was his radio in the guest room. So I walked in the, and the lights were off and I'm like, honey, he didn't answer me. I'm like, he fell asleep with the radio that loud and a fan. He liked that room because it was cold, and coldest room in the house. So it's like, okay, I went over and I turned on the light, tried fumbling, trying to turn off his radio. I couldn't turn on the light and realized, oh my goodness, he's, he's gone. And I, I touched him. He was cold. And I said, are you kidding me? No answer. I went around and stood at the foot of the bed. I couldn't believe it. But I knew. I walked out of the room, walked down the stairs, and I said, I, I, what do I do? What do I do? I called Brett. Brett was our, our closest friend, lived down the street. He was always at our house. He, he was his assistant. And I called him, and all I could say was, come, come, come now. All right, hung up the phone. I sat on the stairs for a minute. I went, Lord, what do I do? And went back and stood at the end of the bed. I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. I'm going to raise him from the dead. This is too soon. He's just well. No. Stood at, pointed my finger at him. I said, in the name of Jesus. And when I said that, next to me, a male voice said, I didn't see anything. Don't. And I, 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 I glanced, you know, to my right. I'm like, okay. All right. And I just, I backed up. It was so quiet and still. And I tell people today that his skin glowed like gold and it, his, his skin was beautiful and he was peaceful. His eyes were shut, just gone. I walked out, turned off the alarm of the house, sat on the stairs and waited for Brett to get there. It was not long flew by me. He said, what's going on? I said, he's gone. And he said, no, 
flew by me up the stairs, went in the room, came out, called 911. So I called 911 and our house became a crime scene with the police, paramedics. They even put the yellow tape up outside. And I just sat on the sofa upstairs. I called a couple of my friends who came over and sat with me, prayed, just held my hand. We sat there and we waited. And they, they pronounced him dead. Uh, coroner's office called and said, based on his history, do you want to have an autopsy? And I said, I can't bear it. No. And she said, okay, based on his history, and I'm, I'm going to sign off on this. To, if that's the best thing for you, she was so sweet. And then we called. It was a while. They got all his medications. You know, they had to take all of that. And I called the funeral home that I'd already been through this with my dad. So I knew who to call. I called Klein Funeral Home, who's amazing. They came and packed him up. And by that time, staff had shown up and some of our leaders and we had, they had to carry him down the stairs and I stood at the bottom and they ringed the stairs on both sides. And we didn't plan this. We just did it. We brought him down as a general out the front door. We followed his body to get in the hearse and that was it. And I came back in and sat on the floor numb in shock, could not believe it. Just couldn't believe it. Never cried. Not yet. <laughs> so after that, you had a memorial service and had another shock after that. That was a Monday morning. And that day with all the leaders there, I started planning his memorial because his kids our daughter, they were all in California that we, you know, I didn't make any phone calls. Brett took care of that. They, they all took care of that for me. They started, they were coming in the next day and we planned the memorial service that day because I could. And I said, no, we, we need to, I want it to be this way. I, I, I want this person to talk on, you know, my Mario Murillo, Corey, Corey Russell, different ones, Ben Priest, his, his closest friends, ministry friends for years. And I, I, I planned it and then went to our associate pastor, been with us for years, Ed and Johnny Hearn, went to their house and spent the night with them. And the next morning got up and came home and started crying. And all the kids came in I just got through the week. I was, I, I knew what I wanted for his memorial. I wanted it to be a revival service. I wanted a celebration of his life. And I was very in control of it. I, I, I had to be, I wanted to be because I knew what he would want. And that was on Friday after his leaving us on Monday and Friday morning. Well, I walked in. Thursday night and we've had a, a huge picture. I, he was cremated, did not have that back yet. So I had a huge picture of him in front and uh, all the different worship team, Rick Pino, Aaron Kreider, so a longtime friend, different worship leaders that had came in that were going to do the worship on stage. And when I saw his picture, I, I just had a hard time holding it together couldn't, I just, I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe it, but we're going to, we're going to honor him for the amazing man he was. And so the funeral on Friday morning, Memorial and Corey Russell standing next to me, a very, very close friend as well as Mario. And they're, they're concerned for me, but I'm strong. I mean, it was just the, the, the Lord on me to get through this. And Corey said, I, I can't do it. I can't do the, uh, I can't get up there and do talk about him. I'm going to preach. I'm like, go for it. Okay. Cause it was moving in that direction. He said, I'm going to talk about dusty and I know what to say. I'm like, great, do it. Mario was the same way. Ben priest, you know, all of the speakers were just honored him. The place was packed standing room only. I was so thrilled. A lot of our ministry friends, pastors, leaders of the city were there 
and former members, you know, everybody came. It was home, a family uh, gathering to see him off. It was beautiful. After that, we had some food in the uh, castle room and our board was there. Our attorney was there from uh, Tulsa and he said, hey, let's let's have a meeting while we're all together. Is there a room we can go in? I'm like, yeah, sure. Brett put it together. I went in there and he said, okay, I have the succession papers. I thought you'd want to know. I brought them all with me. I said, you have succession papers? Really? I, I didn't, I don't know anything. I know nothing. I was not part of the ministry in that way. Plus I've been taking care of him for five years. So I, I wasn't even in the office much. And he had met with our attorney and said, in the event of a couple of years before, this is my, this is what I want. And so I said, okay, I hadn't even thought of this. I was just getting through the memorial. And he said, Mary, um, you're the senior pastor. And I said, no, that can't be. He said, no, that, that, he said, you would know what to do. He appointed his wishes are for you to become senior pastor and that you would know what to do. And I, I sat there just in complete shock. And they, they said, yes, you know, we're, we're, we're for this. It was unanimous. Yes. Okay. You're senior pastor. He, everybody signed, you know, we had to look at that. And I literally just, okay, all right. If that's what he wanted, I don't have a clue. But if that's what he wanted, I will try my best. So after the memorial, I went to California for a week with my daughter. And literally, it was before Christmas, a week before Christmas. And I had all his journals all the stuff that he'd been writing in, I took them with me and I would get up in the morning in her condo and go find a place to sit at a hotel as a breakfast place. And it was quiet, nobody there. And I would sit there for hours and look at his journals. And he had his Christmas message. He'd already been working on his sermon for Christmas, what he wanted to do. And I, I knew I was coming back on Christmas Eve because I wanted to be in church to talk to the church. And honestly, I just started there. I just started with that one service. I gave his Christmas message, what he would have said to the church. And it was beautiful. And it was, then I came home <laughs> and I was by myself. Um, I went to my brother's house later that evening and I literally started the ministry on Christmas day. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just did the next thing he told me to do. And that is what I've been doing for seven years. Do the next thing he tells you and be obedient. I didn't have a clue how to be a senior pastor. It wasn't easy. Um, I got a lot of flack. We, I had people leave the church because they could not receive from a woman. And, you know, I had to. I just had to get through it. I had a beautiful God had already because of the five years that Dusty was sick. He had developed the fivefold ministry in our church. We had a prophet, prophet Ron Waddy. We had a prophetic intercessor director that is Leanne um, Vance, who's amazing. All these people, you know, they were, they're my closest friends, uh, the Devayes, uh, Dr. Oscar and Diana Devaye. Uh, she's a teacher, been with me for many years, 25 years. We had the whole front row of leaders, uh, Rory. We had our worship team. It was all set. We just kept the, we just kept going. He wasn't there, but we were. And so different people started preaching. Corey Russell came in once a month and did a service. Uh, different ones came in. Doug helped us. And we just, you know, kept kept the church going. It, it was an amazing time. He, The Lord was was very kind to me and, and asked me in the beginning, do you want this? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to be a senior pastor. And I only know how, how you've made me. And, and he would tell me, just do that. I'm like, well, I don't, what does that look? It doesn't look like what Dusty would have done. He said, then, but Dusty's not here. So you'd be you. 
And I started how, okay, well, we'll just, we're going to eat together because that's what we do. I'm hospitality. We're going to start eating meals together every Wednesday night. That'll be our Wednesday night. We are family. We're going to grow family and we're going to stay really close together. And a lot of people were as upset as I was crying. And we mourned for a good year. We really did. My mother died three months later. That was another could not believe. You know, I was just kind of a mess. But he gave me a church full of people to love me and help me through it and leadership to help me lead and tell me who you, who I am, how to do it. We'll help you. They lifted up my hands and we just kept going, not really knowing the direction of the church. What do you do when the senior leader is just suddenly gone and we're left, you know, without really a direction and, and not knowing but our mission has always been to know Jesus and make him known. And we didn't have a school ministry. We weren't doing discipleship. And honestly, we just jumped in and kept it going because it was our life and it was his kingdom and it was his church. I, I knew right away, it's not Mary's church. It's, it's a kingdom it's his church. He's going to show me how to do it. It's his people. I belong to him. I, I want to do his will. I'm going to learn to, you know, what that is. I'm going to learn to hear his voice in a new way. And literally, he has walked me through seven years of leading a church. So you, you know, you lost your husband, pastor, friend. That was, you know, difficult enough. You became the senior pastor and the Lord taught you how to do that. But you had the weight of the church on your shoulders while you were still grieving and maybe even somewhat angry that the Lord took him away. How did you deal with that personally? What did the Lord speak to you or do in your life personally that allowed you to move forward? I, I right away said, you know, Lord, I don't understand this. And he was silent. He never gave me a reason. He never told me why. And I had many, many prophets come and tell me stuff. And there was one in particular that did not know me, showed up in church on Sunday. And he said, may, may I talk to you after the service? Carrie McMahon. I knew of him from Facebook. He, go, he went to some churches here uh, in the Spring, Spring Branch area. So I knew of him. He was very respectful of me, did not try to talk to the church. I had a lot of stuff happen. A lot of people came in. I had a lot of things said to me that should never have been said to me. One prophet, I don't know, I never knew him. He sat on the front row, was there for a couple of weeks. And I was really a little scared of these people because I didn't know them. I didn't know what they were, you know, what did they want? I'm not letting them talk to the church. I don't know you. And he would come over and came over to Brett and he said, who's the pastor of this church? And he said, Pastor Mary right over there. And he said, oh, that's too bad and left and never came back. So I was very wounded by a lot of this stuff, but I didn't understand. So I had to keep going and I was mad. I got mad that Dusty left us. I got mad thinking that, well, he wanted to go. He must have wanted to go. Why? Why did you leave me? Why? Why did you never talk to me about this and prepare me? And I would go through stages of that. And then I was mad at God. Like, you didn't tell me anything. I always know stuff. I, I, I always, you know, I see and know since revival, I, I've seen so many miracles and, and talked to him. And Holy Spirit has walked with me. And yet I had no inkling that he was gone. And they told me that he probably just stepped over around 11 o'clock. By the time I found him, all night long, I slept through that. Why didn't I know? Why didn't you tell me? And I got silence, silence. So I was writing. I was writing in my journal. I was very busy trying to, you know, just keep everybody together. And I was upstairs one morning. Brett would come over. Brett lived by us. He was, you know, my right-hand helper. He would come over and say, you need to get dressed. You need to get up. Come on. We're going to go. Um, we're going to drive to the beach. We're going to talk about all of this. Got it. We're going to get it out of you. And 
did a lot of that in that particular day that I went up, sat upstairs and wrote a letter to Dusty. And I said, I forgive you. I have to forgive you. I don't understand. I can't believe that you never discussed it. Five pages of pouring out my heart. Then I wrote a letter to Jesus. I've been writing letters to Jesus for years. Wrote a letter to him and said, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, I know better than to question your sovereignty and the way that you do things, but I, I, I don't understand and I'm not going to be, I know not, you know, forgive me for being angry at you. I let this go. You know, Lord, you're, you're my everything. I'll, you know, poured out my heart, another five pages. And I set it apart and went to the church, just put it on the ottoman, went to the church. It was in a, a new, uh, just school type notebook with paper, you know, like kids use. And I just left it, left it there. And later that evening, Brett came over and we're talking about it. I said, you know, I did something significant today and I feel better. I, I just let it, I had to let it go. I wrote a letter to Dusty and I wrote a letter to, to Jesus and I let it all go. Do you want to read it? And he's like, do you want me to read it? I'm like, you can, if you want. And he said, okay. So he's across the room for me. I got up and I, I opened the notebook and, and looked for it and I couldn't find it. I'd written some other things in that notebook and the pages that I wrote were gone. And I'm like, has anybody been at this house today? No, I've been gone all day. No one's been here. Brett, they're gone. I, they were right here. And he's like, let me see. And he, he said, I can see from the back of the page where you wrote. I can even see some of the things that you wrote, but the ink is gone. And I, I was just, oh my gosh, what happened? And I knew, I knew in my spirit, he took it. He accepted it and took it. Now that's, you know, that's a supernatural thing. Hard to understand. And he said, put the notebook away and don't open it again. And so I put it down in my credenza, put it away. And that's that. It's still where I put it. And I knew he received it and that was done. So then I had to move into a new phase of the ministry of him teaching me to steward a church, a ministry, the financial, the staff. We had huge overhead money dried up. We didn't have any money, couldn't afford salaries, couldn't afford, you know, a lot of things. We never missed a bill. So I had to look at it and I had to be taught how. Met with our bookkeeper, Brett, helping me through this. He didn't either. We had to reduce our staff. We had to reduce salaries. Mine first. Um, Brett reduced his too. He's like, nope, we'll, we'll be first. It really, we, we, he, the Lord walked me through every step of the way. We started doing our own landscaping, Brett and I, and the staff. Every, and if, we, if I was out there, here they come. They're helping me. We're planting. We're re doing the beds. Literally saved me by getting my hands in the dirt of the, the dome and our land. All of our beds, just taking dead stuff out, renewing cleaning, cleaning the property, clean, you know, and then he walked me through, literally has walked me through every room of our property, updating, cleaning, uh, rebuilding what he did in, in the Lord's genius by having dinner every Wednesday night together. We put tables in the back of our sanctuary and, you know, that we'd never done that. Dusty would never have liked that, but this me now, and I wanted tables so we could sit and eat in the sanctuary. And they were everywhere. And people like to sit at the tables with their children for church. Occupy the kids. They, they could write in their own mess, you know, their own books. And so we, I just left them up year round. Wednesday night, he built a family church through having meals together. And it was really just miracle. Our, our church is a miracle. New Life Church is a miracle church that we're still going. And Brett and I started acting weird with each other. Uh, he was my best friend. I t totally depended upon him and knew him well. He knew me. I mean, 
we were best friends. He would argue with me. I'd argue with him. He, he came in one day and said, all right, you've got to make some decisions. I'm like, about what? And he's like, you've got to, you've got to decide who's going to be the teaching pastor. I wasn't a teacher and that wasn't my gift. I could share, I could do it. I did it, but I wasn't the one. And he said, you've got to a point you need, you need to do it. I'm like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And he made me mad about it. I'm like, all right. He, he walked in the kitchen. I said, okay, all right. All right. I, I've got, I've got an idea. Let me run it by you. And he's like, okay. I said, you, you are the teaching pastor. You know, all this, you have written his books. You have done his school ministry. You've edited everything. You've been by him. You know him more better than anyone you can teach. And he got up and walked out of the room and wouldn't speak to me. I didn't know it the night before the Lord had told him. And he said, I can't, I'm not, I would never suggest that to her. You'll have to tell her and she confirm it to me. So I did. And he, he was, he was very afraid. It was an area that he had not ever done. He didn't like to be in front. He was a behind the scene person. He could do it, but he had to start slow. And he said yes to God. And he became the teaching pastor. We were still having our five-fold team helping doing the services. One would teach. Um, we have a lot of teachers in our church. D Dusty uh, replicated himself well in our church with all the teachers that he trained that were in our school ministries and assisted him. And they were all still there. And we just, we put our hand to the plow and did it. That's all I could say. Brett and I got married. We, as I was telling you, we got weird with each other. And I started asking him, why are you acting this way with me? And he's like, why are you acting this way with me? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. This is weird. You know? And he's like, we just, the more that we talked over a period of time, we knew that we loved each other and our, our relationship with each other was changing. And we took it before our leadership team and my friends and all of them unanimously said, we knew it. We know we saw it. What are you waiting for? And I'm like, I don't know. This is weird. I never thought I would marry. I said, I told Brett, I'm never getting married again. No, this is my life. This church is my life. I'm happy. I've got, you know, Dusty got married, got Josh, got a son-in-law, got, got kids, got grandkids. I'm happy. This is what I, this is my life now. Well, God had other plans and he knew I needed someone to take care of me. And Brett takes very good care of me. We got married. We got married in a revival tent. I, I know that we've had this talk and you know my story, but I'm, I'm just kind of moving very quickly toward that area. I called Mario and I said, all right, I think that Brett and I want to get married. And he laughed and he said, I knew, I knew. I'm like, everybody knew, but me, y'all all knew except me. Is this God? I think it's God. He's like, yes, you need Brett and Brett needs you and the church needs you. I'm like, okay. All right. All right. We're okay. Will you marry us? Yes, I will. Come, come this week to the revival tent. And I'm like this week. Oh my gosh. No, we got too many people to tell. We'd already told our leadership team. And he said, no, I, I think this is the Lord. You need to come. And it was in Vegas. I don't like Vegas, but it was a revival tent in a different area of Vegas. I'm like, okay. So I called Brett and he's like, I knew God told me that it was going to be quicker than I would be comfortable with. Are you serious? I'm like, I, yeah, I think so. So we, you know, we talked and we planned it and we got on a plane Monday and we got married Monday night in a revival tent at 6 PM with a whole bunch of homeless people that were cheering us on and we did communion and it was Mario and his wife and, and uh, some of wow. his people that were friends with me also that stood up for me. We were in our jeans and it was great. But that day it was fun. Mario calls. He said, listen, I'm not legal to marry you in, in Nevada. You're going to have to go to one of those chapels. I'm like, are you kidding me? Latin, nothing like last minute. Okay. Well, we had to go to the courthouse there to get a marriage license. And so we just drove, we went around and I looked at the Elvis chapel. I loved that. I want, really wanted that, but you have to, uh, you have to do 24 hour, 48 hour 
reservations for Elvis to marry you. And really, it just got to be funny at that point. So we went in to a drive through chapel, only place we could get last minute. And we got married there and then had our spiritual service that night in a revival tent with Mario Murillo and a whole bunch of people that got saved and healed. And we got to be a part of it. It was beautiful and wonderful. Wow. So Mary, after all you have been through, what are you hearing God say to his people today? I hear God saying to his people today, and this is where he has brought us after all of these years. We've been married five years and he has rebuilt our church and is, been, is doing so much in the body of Christ right now. What he is saying right now is to be obedient. We know he is going to move. We know the harvest is coming. There is a lot going on in the world and a lot of people are fearful and scared. And it is time for our light to shine as Christians, Christ followers, to help people know him, know who he is, and to do the next thing that he tells you to do, to stay very close and obedient and to know him and bring as many people with us as we can. Amen. Uh, Mary, as we close, what woman of the Bible has inspired or encouraged or taught you something? My favorite woman of the Bible is Mary, Martha and Mary. I used to be a Martha. I was an extreme Martha and had to learn how to be a Mary. And he has over and over and over told me when I get weak, when I'm tired, when I'm weary, sit at my feet stay close to me, listen to me, keep our hearts connected. So Mary that sat at his feet in Luke 10, 42, she is my role model. I think about that over and over. She took, she chose to sit at his feet when there was chaos around her and disagreement around her at what she was doing. She sat at his feet. She did what he told. She listened to him and captured his heart. And that is what I want more than anything, is to just be close to Jesus and to hear him plainly and stay in relationship, intimacy with him all day and night. So I pray that for you. Anyone listening, I hope that that you've been able to be blessed by my story it's, it's not been an easy one, but it has been a redemptive, loving, kind story with Jesus. And I, I pray that you seek his face. You seek a relationship with him. There is nothing else that will be as fulfilling or satisfying as knowing his will for your life knowing what the next thing is he wants you to do. He will give you direction. He will prosper you. He will give you the plan for your life and and speak into you over and over and over and settle your heart and send people to help you, the right people. So I just pray that over you in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray his abiding peace and presence over your life and your loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Jesus was so blessed that Mary chose to sat at his feet. Luke 10, 42, which we just mentioned a few minutes ago, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Think about that. Sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his words, being in his presence is something we can all do. No matter who we are, what we've done, what you have or what you don't have, if you sit at Jesus' feet, he will be there. He won't send you away or get up and leave himself. He will help guard that precious time between you and him, and it will not be taken away. You know, friends, there are orphans as well as widows all over the world who need to experience the tangible expression of God's love right now. 
Many have special needs that we as a company of women can help together. Would you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the widow and orphan tab at the top of the page. And thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find scriptures and other information we talked about. You can also get a six-week devotional on Women of the Bible that you can download for free or purchase a 12-week devotional that we'll send to you for just $12, knowing that all the proceeds go to our Widow and Orphan Fund. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line, so give us a call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you from Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. May you hear the voice of the Lord who says to you, I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.